You're listening to Don't Mind the Gap, the future of real estate investing. My name is Emra Al-Kirwi and I will be your host in this podcast series where we will meet world-class real estate professionals and get insights into the tech side of real estate. We will learn how to combine traditional knowledge with new ways to develop real estate and invest in it. In this episode, I'm meeting Professor Andrew Baum at Oxford Said Business School. He's also the chairman of two companies in London within fund management and real estate consultancy. We'll talk about the evolution of the real estate industry and where we are today, which jobs that will disappear in the near future, which companies that are pulling away from the competition and why, the skills and competences you should focus on to stay relevant in the industry, We'll also talk about prop tech, digitalization, the few unicorns in real estate, and the next big thing. Enjoy. Hi, Professor Andrew Bohm. Welcome okay. to this show. Today we're talking about real estate investments and prop tech related to it. Can you please tell us about yourself and how you became interested in and even started researching in this field? Sure. I've been a real estate professional for a long time. I'm quite old now so um you don't look that old thank you (laughs) very nice of you to say so so i I spent my early career teaching real estate appraisal at a university in the uk which is very well known for real estate and educating chartered surveyors as they became and um, then i moved on to become a real estate strategist so i worked for prudential in london heading up a property research team And since the early 90s, I've split my time between teaching in universities and advising usually institutional investors on real estate strategy, usually international, but also domestic, largely commercial, largely institutional, so that my jobs have included being CIO for Henderson Real Estate, head of international property for Henderson Real Estate, head of strategy for Invesco, And I sold a business to CBRE Global Investors in 2006 and became head of strategy for their multi-manager team. And now I I run an investment advisory business called Property Funds Research. So my business life has been focused on helping investors think strategically about where to place their money. And my academic life used to be about teaching appraisal then teaching investment and finance and then most recently when I joined the faculty at Oxford side business school I was teaching no real estate people at all so we have no real estate program here for undergraduates or graduates what we have is an executive program so we have a real estate executive program one week long and we I teach MBAs and I teach executive MBAs and I have to think about what it is those guys need to know and women what they what do they need to know about the real estate industry and they're really focused on a 5 to 10 year vision you know what's going to happen in 5 years to 10 years time what's going to happen to their careers what's going to happen to their businesses what entrepreneurship opportunities do they have how is life changing and all of that leads back to innovation and real estate tech And the good news, of course, for me is that the real estate industry moves so slowly that it's very easy to do research on real estate innovation and tech without being overtaken by events every week. So we now have a research program here which is looking at real estate innovation and technology, and we build that into our MBA and executive teaching and produce papers on an occasional basis for a group of sponsors. All right. Interesting. Can you please explain the evolution of the real estate industry? You mentioned tech, you wrote articles about it. Where are we today and how do we get here? Okay, there was a, you know, the real estate industry has always been a networking based industry. 
And it's no accident that the university I mentioned earlier that I taught real estate appraisal at has the largest single subject alumni reunion dinner of any university in Europe. And that's the real estate industry. That's how it works. They like getting together for big dinners. They like getting together in wine bars and pubs and restaurants. And they like talking to each other. And the reason is because the asset is lumpy. So it's, uh, it's an expensive asset to put money into. And you need to trust counterparties. And the way that, as many of the listeners to this podcast will know, the way in which the real estate industry works is generally not principal to principal. It's principal to broker broker to broker, broker to principal. And that creates what academics call agency effects. Those agency effects create risk all over the place. So the fact that you now have all of these relationships and a tremendous need to trust those relationships means that the person-to-person relationship, the broker-to-broker relationship and the principal-to-broker relationship are very, very important or have been very, very important. We had a dot-com boom in 1999-2000. That was the first real prop tech wave. We had a, um, clearly the internet got going, email got going, 97-98. It led to a dot-com boom, telecoms boom. The real estate industry was not unaffected by that. Some very big businesses, some unicorns were created at that time. CoStar is an example. But generally, the dot-com boom was a failure for real estate digitization. And um, the market reverted back to traditional ways of doing business, with the exception of websites. So websites became standard, a way of people promoting their businesses. But frankly, the, the way in which business was done was not radicalized at that point. It, was, uh, it remained traditional. And of course, in 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7, nobody cared about technology. It was irrelevant. And all we were doing was buying real estate and leveraging it. So everything was focused on financialization, as Marx would have put it. And then the, the significant event that's led us to where we are today is two things. There are two, two significant events. One is the financial crisis of 2008, which destroyed confidence in traditional ways of doing business. So that, that principal-broker relationship started to be undermined, particularly for the younger generation of people. And the second thing that happened was that Apple launched the App Store in 2008. So if you put together a loss of confidence in traditional ways of doing business and the creation of the App Store, and then you, you have the real estate industry, which is characterized by billions of rooms and billions of people, So billions of rooms, billions of people, inefficient ways of connecting the app store and the global financial crisis, then you have Airbnb, okay? So Airbnb becomes the poster child of this new wave of direct communication between principals through the medium of real estate in that particular case. And and then all sorts of questions become asked about, well, how can we apply this Airbnb model to everything else in real estate? Indeed, it's a popular model to copy these days. Where are we today and where will we be a few years from now? I think what we're going through right now is this period of exploration of how can we apply the app, the Airbnb model to retail space, to office space, to co-living, to storage, to everything, to using restaurants in New York City in the afternoon for working, you know, you name it. Convene is an interesting example of a business which is looking at that. WeWork is the poster child for the office market. 
This is going to lead us on to some interesting points later on about who the successful businesses are going to be and what, what characterise the successful businesses here. And we should bear in mind Airbnb, WeWork and these businesses and what makes them successful. So wh- where we are right now is that we have a menu of technologies which are being applied to a certain extent in the real estate industry. And at the top of the list has to be websites and apps. And that's the simplest possible level of applying technology. And the real estate industry is, is just starting to get used to the idea that they can use apps, mm. which is quite ridiculous given that they're 10 years old. But we are still reluctant to use apps. If you look at any real estate fund manager and ask them, do they use an app to communicate with their investors? The answer is probably no. So we are... What's we are the main reason for that? Part of the reason is investor protection. It is, it's government legislation which protects investors against those managers from giving them misinformation directly. But I don't think that's an issue particularly. I mean, if the investor self-elects to be a professional investor, then there's no reason why the fund manager shouldn't be connecting with them through an app. And I think the real reason is that these fund managers just don't have technology directors, CIOs that think about this. You know, it's, it's really a traditional industry which remains rooted in old-fashioned communication methods. So the, the, if you, you look at the, the top technology on the list, which is the website, the app, and then you move down all of these exciting new technologies, the property industry is, has got this menu of technologies thinking about which ones are relevant, including virtual reality, augmented reality, drones, driverless cars, the big tech, which is affecting cities, blockchain, robotics, or, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning. All of those technologies are being used now to explore opportunities in real estate. And I have to say the one point I'd like to make now is that there is a, is there's a massive overinvestment in these technologies by the real estate industry. And most of the capital that's invested in these explorative ventures will be lost. That's my unfortunately conservative view here. There will be change and there will be successes, but there'll be a hell of a lot of losses. So it's a similar pattern to the IT crisis you see, or? I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Unfortunately. Who will be affected during the coming years within the field? What type of companies? The people that are in most danger, I think, are brokers. Because the whole, again, if we, we look at the reason why the app isn't used as a communication tool, you could cynically suggest that brokerage companies have a vested interest in preventing an app enabling principle-to-principle communication. Now, the brokers do play a positive role in many ways, but they are probably unnecessary in a lot of situations. And they also, from an academic perspective, brokers are seen to perpetuate market practices Take an example, if a broker suggests that an office space should be leased for a certain rent on a certain term, then that suggestion is probably based on comparable transactions that he's been familiar with in the past. And the broker on the other side will agree because he's familiar with that past way of doing things. And therefore, innovation being thrown at that is a difficult thing for those guys to deal with. So brokers are threatened by principle-to-principle communication and by innovations in the way property is leased. And I think the app has two threats now to the brokerage community. One is that it enables the principle-to-principle communication. The other thing is that it enables the 
communication between the principal and the user of the space. So again, the, the world of leasing office space used to be principal, broker, tenant. Now there's no reason we work as an example. You know, now it's principal, we work, tenant. If we work starts buying buildings, then it becomes we work customer. And there is no broker in that process. So I think that's the threat. The, the main threat there is to these intermediaries who have been used to facilitating and, and oiling this market, which is now potentially being oiled by apps and direct communication. You mentioned the value of network, especially historically. Do you think that it will still be relevant or should real estate investors today focus on other parts that they strengthen? There's a clear split, I think, in the real estate market now. There's a, there's a low-value commercial property market and a, and a residential property market which are capable of becoming unitized, participated in by smaller investors, by crowdfunding, peer-to-peer lending. And that world can operate reasonably machine-like way without advice. There's not enough money to pay advisors. But my conservative view is that there will still be a lot of networking, advisory work at the higher end of the commercial property market because it's a complex asset. So I'm positive that high value advice will still be paid for. There's one sort of um, one worry about that, and that is a lot of the money coming from Asia now does not appear to want to pay for high quality advice. And we have to ask ourselves why that is. And it may be that our perception of high quality advice is not easily proven. Mm-hmm. So it's a cultural uh, question, basically. Well, yes, it is a cultural question. I mean, the question is, what value does an advisor add to a Chinese investor trying to buy a £1 billion office building in London? Do they simply want access to stock? Once they know what the market pricing level is, which they can get from newspaper reports, you know, what level of advice do they need beyond that? And uh, is it just legal due diligence? Do they really need advice about whether London's going to be a successful city in 10 years' time? I mean, one wonders, really. And, and the, those Asian investors are... They're showing us what they believe by the way in which they're behaving, which is just buying assets rather than investing in funds or buying portfolios. You're listening to Don't Mind the Gap, the future of real estate investing. If you have any tips on interesting guests or other inquiries, please send me an email to emro at don'tmindthegap.com or message me on LinkedIn. Thank you. What do you advise people that want to become great real estate investors today? Which steps do you recommend? <laughs> That's a really good question. And I don't think there's any, um, there's a danger here, which it suits me as, a, as an aging real estate teacher. It, it suits me, of course, to say that what you need is, is really good real estate teachers. And you can, you can get those really good real estate teachers online and through books and through MOOCs, you know, mass online courses. I, th- I think it's really important that investors understand two things. One is real estate capital markets and the other is real estate occupier markets. And if you, in order to understand real estate occupier markets, you need to understand urban economics. So you need to go through a program of understanding the fundamentals of demand and supply for space. Now that, that market, the demand and supply for space market is affected by technology. And, you know, we, we need to ask ourselves in a world where we have driverless cars and drone deliveries and flying cars taking us to airports, what will the demand supply for space look like in 10 years time? 
An easy answer to that is it's, it's all going to be to do with transport communications. So um, infrastructure is going to be hugely important. We're going to get higher buildings locating next to transport infrastructure. And understanding all of that is urban economics. And, you know, that urban economics is 300 years old. And it, what it tells us is, is just as true in the world of drones as it was in the world of farmland. So urban economics. And then the second thing, we have to understand real estate capital markets. And the fundamental there is, is the connection between real estate pricing and the financial markets. So the bond markets in particular, you know, what do they tell us about real estate pricing? So in order to become a good real estate investor, you need to be good at urban economics, good at real estate capital markets. And then you have to walk around, talk to people and, uh, and get a feel for what's really going on. Which is, why, which is where the limits of technology start to hit. Although things like TripAdvisor are useful in terms of working out what people really think about an area. You mentioned a few fields already, but can you give examples of what mainly is happening in the, regarding digitization and transformation uh, as we speak? Clearly, we need to distinguish digitization and digitalization. So digitization can be summarized as the conversion of a written document into a machine-produced document like a PDF. And clearly, we're already in a digitized world. You know, we're already there. Digitalization means converting a PDF into an intelligent document so that the numbers in a PDF become readable in an Excel spreadsheet so you can then operate on them. And we're not yet in a digitalized world. So Sweden is well ahead of the UK in the digitalization of its land registry for example. So you have an opportunity to create a, a much more efficient transaction process. In the UK, we cannot digitalize our land registry because we work on a different system. There is no precise definition of the area of my land holding. It is done simply by consensus between me and my neighbors. If the land registry imposed a digitalized plan upon me and my neighbors, we would all go to war. So the number of disputes that they would create would be huge. So they work on something called general boundaries. Now, clearly in the future, at some point, everything will be digitalized and we will have gone to war and we'd have sorted it all out. But, but right now, the, the opportunity to digitalize the entire globe of land holding is, is just a huge, huge effort. Who should take that initiative? Well, I think what's more likely to happen is that new buildings will be digital. So... The, uh, and this is where blockchain becomes interesting. So I think we will start to see digital packages of data connected to new buildings. This is already happening in the house building market. So if you, if you buy a new house, you're likely to get a digital file from the, from the developer and you should be able to store that digital file. And when you sell that house, that digital file should transfer to the new owner. And that will, that will happen with commercial property. And that enables transactions to be put into a blockchain But the problem with that is that the strength of the transaction chain is only as strong as the weakest link in that transaction chain. So in residential property, if a buyer of a brand new house is, receives a digital pack, but they are selling an old house, then you cannot put the old transaction on the blockchain because you don't have any digital data about the old house. So that problem is going to affect a lot of the market and slow things down for a while. But I do see this new world arising of digital data that might be connected through blockchain processes in transactions, might be. Mm. All right. And regarding all these buzzwords uh, that you mentioned previously, blockchain, AR, VR, big data, etc., 
Do we have to learn all this? I think it depends. Or just understand it. It depends what. It, well, we should all be reading books about technology. It's one of the most interesting things you can read at the moment, and I think we should all read about the way technology is changing the world. Not for, particularly for real estate, but for our lives. You know, it's uh, it's fascinating. So we should all be reading books about technology. I think for real estate professionals, it depends exactly which area we're working in. I don't think I need to know much about VR and AR, really. You know, I, I know it exists. I'm I'm happy to accept that. When I buy my next house, I might go online and use VR, but I don't think I'm going to use AR. I don't really fancy that world very much. I like, I didn't use drugs when I was a young kid. I don't <laughs> see why I should use them now, you know. So, uh, so VR's fine. I think it depends what what world we're in. Property researchers, which is the world that I came out of, we definitely need to learn AI. That is one of the most predictable changes. So right now we're running a research project on using neural networks in predicting office rents across Europe and testing whether those neural networks produce answers which are different from traditional multiple regression style research. And it's definitely different. Whether it's better or not, that's part of the research program. So I think it depends which area you're in. I think every real estate professional will be affected by technology to some extent. Not everybody by all technology. All right. We have some uh, final questions. Which company is cutting edge when it comes to real estate investing? What are they doing differently? That's a really difficult question. I think the problem is that there are very, very few. I understand that if you go to the list, the the biggest property fund manager globally is Blackstone or Brookfield, depending on your measurement method. And those two guys are tending to pull away from the rest of the field in real estate investment management. Why is that? One reason is because they are aware of and investing in tech so that if you were to talk to Blackstone's head of tech you'd find him to be a, an extremely knowledgeable person about tech and if you went to a more traditional property fund managers head of tech I think you wouldn't find the same depth of expertise the other reason I think is that Blackstone and Brookfield have invested in operating businesses that are close to the customer so if you really really want to be a, a world class property fund manager you need to be close to the operation and very few are. So it's no accident, I think, that Blackstone, through Logicore, have got close to logistics, for example, and and we can add examples all over the place, buying Hilton. So the trick, I think, for property investment managers is going to be to get closer to the asset management world. And therefore, that brings us back to the WeWork model. You know, how do you, if you are AXA or UBS or Primerica or CBRE Global Investors, how do you get close to the customer and forget about property management and rent collection, start thinking about WeWork and how it satisfies its customers. Interesting. What's the next uh, big thing within the industry? (laughs) Yeah, the next big thing. Well, I think a lot of people would say it's blockchain and we would be slightly skeptical, I think, about that. If the world were comprised solely of brand new buildings and we we demolished everything in the world and started from scratch, then I think we would build everything on a blockchain. Unfortunately, we're not in that situation. And to retrofit the property market for blockchain would be incredibly difficult. And the next big thing, I suspect, is going to be simple data. It's going to be the more efficient collection and analysis of data, probably using AI, so that people will be able to select their property more efficiently. And the the one thing that I can see changing is a movement from a world where 
property owners decide to place their property on the market and to use a broker to promote the sale of that building to a market where everything is for sale all of the time. And that brings into, into the idea things like property passports, digital twins, VR, so that if you can imagine, if you want to go and live in Stockholm and you know there's a particular part of Stockholm that you want to live in and there's a street that you really like in Stockholm because it's got a couple of great restaurants that you like to go to, then why wouldn't you simply go online and make an offer on every single building in that street and see what happens? And I think we're moving towards that world. So there are many tech-driven property businesses out there now that are trying to create Facebook for real estate so that you will be able to go online, you'll find out a bit more about the history of that building. Somebody will tell you what, it's, what the value of that building is using an AI valuation model. It may be inaccurate, but there's no reason why it would be particularly inaccurate. So, you know, so that building is 500,000 euros. I'll bid 495,000 euros for it. If the owner wants to move, then they'll, they'll accept my offer. So I think that's the biggest thing that we're likely to switch to. And technology will, will be the main driver of that change. And the same will work with commercial buildings, by the way. There are, you know, how many world-class buildings are there in London? I don't know, 25. We all know pretty much everything to know about those buildings. We can piece the information together. So we should be able to do that using technology. Right. You've already answered uh, two of the upcoming questions here regarding which companies you think will disappear uh, and also uh, what's necessary to learn in order to be a great real estate investor. Where would you advise people to go if they'd like to learn more about uh, real estate investing and also trends, tech, digitalization, etc.? There are some really good websites around now that are promoting and um, educating people about tech. Lots of them, Future Prop Tech, Unisu, a CRE Tech. There's, there's quite a lot of, of websites that you can go online. The, the problem is that a lot of them are simply in business to promote tech. You know, where do you go to get the balanced opinion about what is really important? That, that's a bit harder. Oxford does run a couple of online courses. We run an online course in blockchain. We run an online course in fintech. Within the online fintech program, we do have a, a session on prop tech. We will probably develop a prop tech online program at some point soon. But for now, I'd like to invite everybody listening to this to look at the Oxford real estate program, which is our five-day course, which is built around innovation in the real estate finance and investment market. So that's running in April next year. It happens once a year. We have a 55 people on the course. So that's something you can do. What type of individuals, what's the target group for that? We have three, three groups of people on that course. One is aspiring CEOs. So people who are maybe 30 to 40 years old that want to uh, really enhance their career and they want to get a, an in-depth very, very quick MBA type analysis of the real estate industries for their own strategic thinking. The second group is professionals who aren't real estate people, but are working in real estate businesses. So the legal counsel, head of finance, CIOs, who want to know about the real estate industry from their perspective. And then we have a group of real estate owners, often from developing markets. So uh, somebody from India whose, whose family business has been warehousing and they've ended up with a big property portfolio. What do you do now? And that mix of people tend to create tremendous networks. And um, so that's, a, that's been a very satisfying thing to develop. All right. Interesting. Any final thoughts or words before we end this? Just to continue to be very, very curious about technology and read as much as you can about technology in general. 
but never, never ignore the fundamental real estate skills that you need to become a good investor. Thank you very much. Thanks for asking me.